crimes from the east today i have a very special episode and i know i always say every single episode is special but today it is truly special because today i will be chatting with renowned indian astrobiologist pushkar vaidya he is the head scientist at the indian astrobiology research foundation in mumbai and why am i talking to pushkar today because he's an astrobiologist astrobiology only means one thing in my eyes and you can tell me if i'm wrong pushkar but that means life in outer space right like life off of earth i love talking about stuff like that so hello and welcome pushkar um welcome welcome and tell us all about astrobiology yes thank you pian thanks for uh, having me over yes so we'll discuss a few things which are from this world and from outside right so uh, well astrobiology if you like you know well there's a standard definition for it you know that you're looking for the evolution and origin and distribution of life across the universe and then mm-hmm. that's the key you know because you cannot be sure that everything started back here or that everything happens you know only here and that's the whole uh, the the whole let's say the seduction of astrobiology yeah so there is some alien connection right absolutely <laughs> Okay, excellent. So I heard that you spent your early life in Sri Lanka. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh yes, that's true. You know, so my my father actually ended up there. He he was he is into textiles, and uh, you know, so I sort of tagged along. And uh, I had written a book by then. You know, I was sixteen, but I written a book. It was called In Search of Aliens. Since I was a kid, or not even before my teenage years, actually, you know, I was obsessed with looking for life outside Earth. and there was a reason for that and that reason still continues to this day that um, i wanted to find out that why do we exist right i i would ask people that why do we exist and i never got a very satisfactory answer and then let's say when you speak to people who seem to know that answer and they would give me that answer but their answer wouldn't match with the other guys who seem to know you know know the answer and i was like well these guys seem to be not knowing anything and maybe we should check with someone who is not from this planet you know so so that was the that was the reason you know i wanted to look for aliens and then i and then i wrote this in search of aliens and i found myself in sri lanka and i was like well like any good book it should have a uh, it should have a forward from someone famous and i had read a few books from arthur c clark and arthur c clark used to uh, stay in sri lanka and and back then i did not know that he's an extraordinary man all that i knew was he has written a lot of books and you know not a bad guy to get the forward from I still remember that that meeting pretty vividly you know he would call me over and there goes Arthur C Clarke you know instead of trying to teach me or tell me anything he, he sort of points towards a book i think or was some printouts it had these traditions on europa and he asked what are your thoughts about these things and I was like wow <laughs> you know that is how it was so europe of course uh, you know being the the moon of one of the moons of jupiter so yeah and i think we spoke a bit about ufo's too So would you say that meeting with Arthur C Clarke kind of cemented your journey and turned your interest or obsession or just curiosity about this field into your career? No, absolutely. Yeah. So the, so of course, you know, he was my mentor. We we kept in touch, you know, till the time he passed away in the in, in the 2000s and he was a very kind and generous man. and uh, yes i i think what it did was you know it it kept me from within the frameworks of the scientific method you know mm-hmm. so i could have ended up as a molder you know but i ended up as a cross between a molder and scully that was going to be 
a question I was going to ask you. Are a Mulder or a Scully? And I'm glad you've answered that. Okay. Yeah. So that was the main main advantage of of, of meeting Clark. In fact, I mean, one of the, the 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 thing was that you know he had this huge book on his on his desk, mm-hmm. right? I think it was a thousand pager or something, and I cannot recollect the name for God's sake. But the thing was that I still remember you telling me that. all of this cannot be hysteria mm. speaking in the context of ufo sightings and his massive book on his desk and that's the question all of that cannot be hysteria can it be <laughs> so apparently annually there are at least 80000 sightings reported in the world all across the globe and that's what i keep thinking fine maybe 79000 of them are misunderstandings some are lies some are hoaxes but it maybe one's got to be real one's got to be a real sighting the probability can't be zero that all 80000 reports are false no absolutely or, or at least all the 80000 cannot be weather balloons and planet venus yes yes project blue book like what were your favorite alien or ufo or space icons in popular culture growing up like which movies or shows influenced your thoughts and i'd say your career so far no i think i'm 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 uh, outright the from the you know from the x files generation yes me too me too there's nothing more required you know if you are from that generation the depth of x files and and the, the chemistry of the characters and 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 i think the the very honestly how they went about it it was so genuine and authentic I think a lot of us wanted to be Scully and Mulder's back then, you know. So I tried my best to be across as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um same here. Um I too grew up watching X-Files because it had just come out in India at that time, I believe, and it was unlike anything else that was on TV and it really did shape a lot of you know what interests me so far in life. And I don't know about you, but I was a total X Files junkie. Like my Windows theme was X Files. You know, all my Winamp skins were X Files. The when I turned my computer on, I would hear the X Files theme come on, and I had pictures of Mulder and Scully all over. So yeah, I was totally into it. What about you? Oh well, I did not have a PC, so I, I think I was spared all that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I did have my share of posters. and i think one of the one of the great things it it did was you know so i was this kid from india you know who has gone to sri lanka in in colombo mm. and back then you know there were not too many you know indian kids in the in the international schools especially mm. the moment you know you have to well get going with the other kids and all that and they are from all different nationalities and what actually saved my day was the fact that i was the best at let's say interpreting what the the x-files was the previous night and they are oh. all waiting to catch up with me the next one the next morning <laughs> and i could break the ice and you know and we we made some lifelong friendships so i think x-files was just a lot more than just a show for me Let's talk about some famous cases. I'm sure you've heard about Roswell. So in 1947 in New Mexico, a rancher he reported debris in his fields. The army takes over and they first reported that yes, there was a, some kind of weird flying saucer that had been recovered, but then they totally turned their narrative and they said that it's a weather balloon. Uh of course, conspiracy theorists since then have insisted that it was an otherworldly craft and it was recovered not only craft but also possibly a biological material or an entity was recovered at that site and i believe he was an army investigator called Jesse Marcel he claimed Marcel, to the end right. that it was true that there was a craft that was recovered i'm sure you've heard of Roswell 
Oh yes, and I, I think that astrobiology 101, you know, in, in the UFO <laughs> module category, you know, that you you start with start with Roswell. That's how you know I think the whole idea of cover-ups I think really got going mm. rather than the sources, <laughs> you know, because I think the UFO phenomenon has continued and continued along with that is this template, and and this is a very dangerous template, you know, because uh, to have a different opinion does not make you a conspiracy theorist, mm. and that is a very important thing because so much disrespect has crept into this subject, you know, and it, it is time to get, get rid of that, you know, because let's say I, I say something else, you know, that doesn't make me a conspiracy theory. That's how science is done, actually. We need to put the respect back into, uh, into ufology. Something like, like J. Allen Hynek would go by saying that uh, mockery is not a part of the, of the scientific method and it should not be taught that it is, you know, so it's something like that. Ironically, he himself was responsible for a lot of the mockery that was published at that time uh, because of Project Blue Book. But I guess he was recruited by the government and intelligent agencies at that time to cover it up for the better good or, you know, to kind of spare humanity the throes of having to deal with this. Um, There's a very interesting book on this incident called The Day After Roswell. If you read it, it'll blow your mind. And after some some time, you're just wondering, is this fiction or what? Because it's unbelievable, the confidence and the certainty with which the author talks about the Roswell crash retrieval and the entity retrieval and how right. so many of our mo- modern inventions are based off of reverse engineering the tech that was recovered at Roswell. No, that's true, because see, there's this little history about Roswell, you know, that some of these things which they found, there are this certain strange-looking symbol, and, you know, there was this inscription on the on the stuff uh, found at the ranch, and then there is, a, there is a follow-up story, you know, that some of these things, including, let's say, at least one or two uh, aliens which were injured, but let's say alive, they, they are the ones who are supposedly who ended up at Area 51, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, then of like 30, 40 years, then you have this Bob Leza, and he's trying to say, well, he found, a, he, he saw a few discs, at uh, at area 51 so there is a link in fact there was this movie uh, alien autopsy you know it i think it has been debunked if i remember but it was a fantastic trigger back then it was alien autopsy fact of fiction and and, and it claimed to be an autopsy upon aliens found in uh, you know in the roswell crash you know so so roswell of course is is interesting yes so just to prove to you how much of a ufo nerd i am um i got the internet around 1997 98 and so when everybody else, all the teenagers in the world were probably looking for girlfriends or boyfriends online, I was looking for aliens and UFOs. And, <laughs> and that's what I came across. So I saw the alien autopsy video back. Oh, you did. Right. I was convinced it was real. I was like, oh, my God, look, <laughs> it's an alien. It's great. It's true. It's real. They say it's been debunked, but it was a recreation of an actual autopsy of which they do have. They don't have a full movie, but they have frames of 8mm or something of that sort. So I don't know. We don't know. Uh, I mean, anything can be debunked, you know, with someone who's good at convincing people otherwise. But that doesn't (laughs) mean that it wasn't true. So we, I guess we'll never know. So the other really major incident that I love to read about is the Phoenix Lights. Um, Right. So residents in, I, I believe, 1995, or it could be 97, I'm so sorry. but 97, I guess. Yeah, yeah residents in Phoenix, Arizona saw a brilliant set of illuminations or lights in a triangular formation gliding silently and slowly over the skies of that region for several hours. And it was seen by thousands of people, but never properly explained. 
There are several documentaries on this incident. Well, there's one called The Phoenix Lights by James Fox. Right. There's another one called I Know What I Saw. And then the latest one, which I highly recommend anyone even remotely interested in this uh, to watch, is The Phenomenon. Oh, all right. Also by James Fox. Excellent, excellent documentaries. Again, what the government said was that these were just flares that that the Air Force was dropping at that time for some kind of drill. And yes, there was a flare drop, which occurred a couple hours later, which I believe could have just been a cover-up so that it could be used as an explanation for what other people were seeing at that time. So yes, cover-ups. Every single incident just has cover-ups. So frustrating. Have you heard about the Phoenix Lights? Yeah, very much. So in fact, I, I, I do these workshops for the public called as the Life in Space workshops. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, you know, we look at the possibilities of aliens actually being here. And one of the cases, you know, which are, you know, which say there's enough high confidence, you know, to cite is the Phoenix Lights. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, of course, primarily meeting the criteria of more than one person witnessing what has happened. So this so-called credibility issue, you know, is taken out of the window, you know, so people are not mad. Well, you have seen what I have seen. So, th- so that's like one big advantage of that case. The other part which comes along with Phoenix Light, there are actually two sightings. You know, yes. one was this flare-like stuff and the other was this triangle-like thing, you know, which was going around and off which we don't seem to have, you know, any footage per se. Even, even later, the governor sort of comes around and says, you know, that, uh, well, this is out of this world. And, you know, he couldn't say it back then. And I think he, he, he did this press conference where he actually mocked the whole thing, you know, that this is aliens. He brings this alien in the press conference how the politics works, that he comes around um, years later and say, well, you know, I think that was aliens. Right, so it is as good as a case it goes. See, Pia, you and I don't go to a Pentagon or a CIA to ask that, does the sun exist? (laughs) Right, so if you see it, it exists, it's already a fact. So how the hell do you you are going to say that, well, it it is not a fact? That governor was Fife Symington. I just looked him up. Right, that's (laughs) correct, that's correct, yes. So it's it's a fantastic thing to remember that how actual science is being hijacked by a narrative, you know, which is somehow, let's say, led by intelligence agencies. It makes no sense. Yeah. And the whole premise that the public can handle it. I don't want to quote Jack, but you can handle the truth. Yes, we can handle the truth. We can. Why do they believe that we'll just go crazy if we think there are aliens in this world and that society would cease to function normally? Why do you think that's the the overarching reasoning for cover-ups? I think it is it is absolutely stupidity, you know, and that's that's the reason we are running this little survey. We are not taking this head on, you know. So just because I tell you that, uh, well, I'm a scientist and you are not, I'm supposed, somehow I'm supposed to know more than you. It does not work that way because in the scientific method, there is something, uh, you know, which is called as observation. So you either you state a question or you do an observation. Then you do some background research on that topic. Then you, you know, have certain idea that what might be causing this, you know, so you have a hypothesis. Then you do something to test it with experiment. You get some results and you report the conclusion to, you know, whoever it is. Yeah. Now, if you tell me, Pia, you know, if you do this, does that, does that not make you a scientist as well? Yeah. You and I are on the same plane. And that is the greatness of science. You know, whether it is you, Einstein, Hawking or me, we are all on the same level mm-hmm. as long as we are following the scientific method. Mm. It is very, very, you know, very, very critical. 
for the UFO research to develop properly, that people do not give into the tags which are assigned to them by, by scientists, you know, by calling you conspiracy theorist or a pseudoscientist or a nut job for that matter. Yes. Well, it doesn't, doesn't matter because if you follow the scientific method, that's all science is about. Yes, I agree. And I'm sure my mom also agrees because my interest was fueled further by my mom's interest in the field. So she, even today, like she'll be researching all these kind of, um, you can call them paranormal or unorthodox subjects all over the world. And so she, she was always made fun of in my family, like cookie, you know, she's cookie. She's, she's always learned, you know, talking about aliens and waiting for aliens to come and stuff. So I get it. I get it. I mean, sure, it's casual, but it's still thrown into ridicule if you're interested in it or if you believe in it. Uh, and how is that different from believing in a God you've never seen? Right? No, you, that is not, the thing. You're you know. not ridiculed for being, having faith. You're praised for it. But now if you have faith in something else that you haven't probably seen, you're made a fool of, which is so hypocritical. Right? No, it, it definitely is. And the thing is that we shouldn't be, you know, people in general shouldn't be buying into that bullshit. That's the whole point there. Yeah. You know, because the survey which I was trying to refer to, and I think I almost forgot about it, mm -hmm. was the question which you raised that, you know... Uh, I mean, there's going to be social disorder, civil strife, people going hysterical, having a go at each other just because you disprove aliens exist. Try India. We don't give a damn about it. You know, so what has happened is this has become a very uh, culturally monotonous, uh, you know, narrative. We really don't care, you know, because it will be like, okay, of course, they are also created by the, the ultimate reality. Let them come around. Not an issue. There's no problem. I can guarantee you. <laughs> you know, there is no problem and and we are not we are not less number of people we are quite a population of this world you know greater than the entire united states put together for that matter so so as the asian nations get involved as we come from a different cultural background the narrative will benefit you know because it has become monotonous it has become stagnant so i'm from from india you know we are rooted in india and and no we are not we are least concerned and and if you are going to throw you know that you don't know what you are dealing with then you have no idea, you know, what our mythology makes us deal with in the first place, <laughs> you know. So it's the yes, aliens we need read, to watch out. Have you read our mythology? Like, hello, Ramayana, Mahabharata. We are used to all these kind of uh, paranormal or anthropomorphic, ah, I can't say it, humanoid and, you know, hybrid species. And we're used to all that. That's not new to us. We've seen all of it in our mythology. We're used to it. We're conditioned to accept the strange and the crazy like yes you're right indians wouldn't really be yes and, and we are a significant part of the world's population and so are the chinese and so are the other asian races and it adds to it let's say don't you and do you have a, a microscope strong enough for let's say so much education in microbiology or, or virology to tell that uh, the sars cov 2 virus exists don't we at the end of the day put faith into because some institution said so that we all agree that there's something called as COVID-19. Mm. Just because at the end of the day, you have to put some faith somewhere. Yes. You know, and, and that is, you know, even if you're doing science, it is not that the faith is gone out of it because alternatively, each one should be having a microscope and check for ourselves where is COVID-19. Yes. But we do trust and we do not wait for a Pentagon to declare COVID-19. You know, the CDC who might come and declare. So where is the science? Where are the scientists in the UFOs? Why the hell a Pentagon is involved?
we don't need the military intelligence or the defense framework to be responsible for this. And I believe Mulder actually says this in an episode. The government doesn't have a monopoly on this phenomenon. And that is so true. Like, why do we look at the Pentagon to be responsible for information dissemination or to be the ultimate authority on this? They have no right. They have no jurisdiction over this. It's global. It belongs to you, me, everyone else in the world. We are earthlings from this planet. And if there is an alien civilization that wants to make contact, we're all equal on that plane. The Pentagon or any other defense agency doesn't have monopoly over it. So, yeah. And I love that you brought up how we as Indians or, you know, Desis have a different perspective on this because I've wondered about that often. When you hear about all of these news, you know, journalists and authors and, you know, other scientists talk about this phenomenon in the recent past, the past few months after disclosure that occurred in June in 2020, right? The Pentagon released that report stating there were 144 incidents or so that we can't explain the origins of. It was some kind of unmanned craft or manned craft that we don't know the origins of. And all of a sudden, we see all these scientists and authors and journalists talk about it, but it's all coming from the major Western countries, right? All American perspective, British perspective, some Australian perspective. Where's the Desi voice in this? Where is the Desi voice in this? And that's why I wanted to talk to you, Pushkar, because we need to hear different perspectives. We have different thoughts, right? We approach it from a different angle than, say, someone from a Western upbringing. And we need to join in on the conversation. So I'm very glad to be talking to you about this today, Pushkar. And I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> no, absolutely, Pia. And you know, the, the fact that, you know, we are talking about uh, Western scientists and stuff like that and why a Pentagon, you know, requires to, uh, let's say, try to authenticate, stamp a phenomenon which is there happening in nature. At the, by the end of the day, it's, it's happening in nature. And what follows is that if I'm going to mock you, and, and I see this a lot, in, especially in, 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 the, in the Western discourse. I mean, let's say, you know, I, I've been on Reddit, uh, you know, uh, I, I joined Reddit recently, but I've been reading it, you know, on and off. They are making, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful arguments they make, the, the, the exchange, you know, and so on and so forth. The whole discourse by Western science is very disrespectful towards this community of people. Mm. And... At least after 20, you know, in June 2021, I did not hear anyone coming and, you know, giving an apology for all the, you know, trash which was thrown at people who are keeping the subject alive. Interestingly, I did not even see the very people protesting that at least now you owe us an apology. It is so much of mockery. And, and therefore, I would, uh, you know, some of these guys on Reddit, princes, I can tell you your comments are sometimes better than the research papers out there. <laughs> Yes. And yeah, thank you to everyone that has, you know, kept the subject alive and well and had discussions and, you know, joined in on forums for all these decades, despite the ridicule. And I'm, I'm so glad that we have anonymous forums like Reddit, where, you know, you don't have to have your name or your credentials published, and you can still talk about it without fear and without the fear of ridicule. However, yes, as you say, let's change that. Let's Let's destigmatize it and make it normal. And that's what I said in my UFO episode. Let's make UFOs normal. Let's make it mainstream. 
can we have an hashtag like aliens lives matter you know and and, and you know and and get the scientists to tweet about it because it was the scientific community you know which was doing the disservice can we have a day maybe on the roswell day or the world ufo day you know where they actually tweet aliens lives matter because they do So um I don't know if you heard my UFO episode but I talk about some of the sightings in the South Asian subcontinent. Most of the cases that I found online were from the 1950s and that's I think because of Project Blue Book and NICAP which is an again an American civilian organization that recorded UFO sightings all around the world. They looked into them and which is why we have record of those sightings. after that of course nothing i don't see anything reported in india till maybe the last decade right is there any reporting agency in india or south asia for that matter where people can go report is there a mufan is there anything right we get lot of these sightings you know we get sometimes phone calls and emails you know and these sort of things that happen we generally just direct them to go to move on yeah. now uh, back in uh, june july 2021 this year we have set up a center of excellence for ufo uh, studies it's called the icu a center of excellence for ufos the first initiative under that center has been to run this uh, survey you know and and we are insisting that we want it to be truly global that we should have participants from every country you know on the, on this planet mm-hmm. and that survey is to address the question which you earlier raised with respect to uh, you know what happens if you make contact yeah. you know are we expecting civil strife and so on so that's the first thing which we are taking into account the second one is you no know, we want to bring up a mechanism by which the sightings can be reported in india hmm. and that's why you know we are possibly going to raise some funds and stuff like that because we have sightings in india i mean in fact the indo tibetan police had been reporting them in the early 2010s right to the prime minister of india and i think one of the ufo somehow ended up at the at the at the residence of the current prime minister you know yes, so these sightings exist you know but then they are ref, you know mostly restricted to media reports you know but there is no proper documentation and i'm sure you know we will have thousands of them you know if we are able to get them sorted Yes. So, so we will yeah. be having a mechanism in place. I'm not aware of one which is existing right now. Nothing at least on a large scale for sure. What takes a sighting from maybe I saw something to I saw something to it being studied and regarded as a serious sighting is reporting. So that's very important. And thank you for having that in your plans, Pushkar. Absolutely. Let's jump into it, right into it. So I looked up a couple of terms that you know i've been listening about and reading about for the last few years and one of the main questions that all humans ask at some point and i think you mentioned it early on was why do we exist why are we here where did we come from who made us what made us and so the beginning blocks of life on this planet from what i read there is something called the primordial soup which is considered as you know the birthplace of life on earth charles darwin theorized evolution and then the scientist alexander oparin hypothesized that the ultimate first single-celled organism was a result of an abiotic genesis in that primordial soup so you want to tell us a little bit about that well that's what you you read in textbooks that's what you read hmm i'm talking of course when the earth started back then you know we're talking of around maybe 
four billion years and somewhere around that and within a few hundreds of million years you know you created the first cell now it's very well known in cell biology you know that to the whole problem here is to create the first cell it's a huge problem you know i can sort of turn around and ask then if it was that simple then why the hell are we not able to replicate it what was so special about that event so we we really don't know the fact is you know we we have no idea what is life forget about a cell for that matter but then the whole intention here is to make it feel like or sound like as if we know now that is the other danger you know which uh, has crept into science science is being spoken of in lot of tone of finality as if we know so that tonality is, is that way now that is absolutely terrible we have no idea what is life forget about it coming from us okay you can say so because you you don't know it's like saying you you don't have a telescope let's say you know which looks beyond the moon and you are like well that's all i have so we must have come from the moon or something like that yeah you know so so we have no uh, scientific evidence to suggest how that transition happened so it's nothing but an hypothesis so i read about something called the miller urey experiments where they supposedly or successfully were able to create uh, amino acids under you know similar conditions that earth may have had billions of years ago that is true but that is nothing but chemistry <laughs> at mm. the end of the day mm. and i think there are certain suggestions that you know there long ago when some of these clay started to let's say learn what is called as self replication so the inanimate matter somehow learned how to self replicate somehow learn little bit of self organization now self organization is, is one of the very cool things about the entire cosmos for that matter but then if you go down that line then you're literally talking about the origins of life you have to go right back to the big bang and you cannot start talking about it you know how it came on earth and so it's it's a it's again it's a question of how we look at it so if you look at it from the eastern perspective you know let's say from india i know we we consider life to be a cosmic phenomenon by mm-hmm. default yes interconnectedness of life mm-hmm. not look that up you know in any sort of isolation that it's on earth in fact there are so many you know you know this thing where the gods are literally living right now on different parts of the universe yes. or if you like on different planes and dimensions you know so we are not so so close to it but this whole thing of the single cell sort of thing yes you know it is an hypothesis you know which is good to sort of build up but it's nothing more than that life might have come from outside from what we call as panspermia on that note so are you saying that there is a chance that we are transplants from another solar system or planet I know it's an interesting thought and also a well it's a conspiracy theory I don't want to call it that but unfortunately <laughs> that's what we're calling it that we were seeded on earth by some kind of superior beings human like ETs for I don't know what purpose the movie Prometheus has a fantastic visualization of that theory what do you think it may well be the case how do you say it is not the whole question is that you know that the only problem is you know if you try to uh, put it in the scientific method and that's all to be honest with you you know you are making an observation you're looking at something life okay you 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 are sort of doing some background research so your hypothesis is it maybe it was just put down here what we you know not directed panspermia if you like or the zoo hypothesis so to say you know that we're actually put down here so be it simple definition of science the way i see it is that that what cannot be tested is not science right now the question is can we test it the answer is yes it can be tested when scientists are looking for signs of life outside of our 
solar system or our galaxy or whatever, instead of looking up at the sky, if you believe in the panspermia or fine, maybe we were planted here by beings, that theory, maybe looking into our DNA for evidence of that might also be another way of searching for extraterrestrial life, right? Because what if we did come from somewhere else? Are there hidden codes inside of our DNA? Are there unexplained bits? I know like our genome was sequenced and everything, but I think there's still a lot of gray area about what certain sequences in our DNA are meant for. What do they hold? What are they coded for? We still don't know, I believe, right? No, absolutely. And, you know, I think there is a there is a mainstream science to it, something another thing, you know, which we intend to uh, do direct research in for that matter, called as genetics SETI or genomics SETI. So a search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which actually looks into our, our DNA. Maybe there are certain, let's say, uh, you know, certain messages inside it. That's one possibility. Because you see, if you want to send information across the cosmos, so one of the best ways to send a lot of information which can be replicated rather than sending one message in a bottle is, is actually put them into a DNA and, you know, send them along. You know, and, and we have figured out life is pretty tough as it goes in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. So maybe it will find, find a way and uh, the, the possibility of there being a lot more to be read into the genetic material is absolutely true. You know, and, and that's a very legitimate way of uh, doing science because we are making, a, again, coming back to the scientific method, we are making a prediction mm. that we should be looking for something, 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 you know, if you are able to make that prediction, I'm saying, you know, then you are doing, you are doing good science. Yeah, I'm excited. Like if, if someone tomorrow comes up and tells me, we have evidence that there's some code in our DNA that's alien in nature, just imagine all those aliens we've been looking for all these years is inside of us. We are the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, very much. So you mentioned panspermia, and I wanted to discuss that a little bit. Panspermia is the hypothesis that life exists throughout the universe, distributed by space dust, meteorites, asteroids, and other you know celestial bodies, as well as by spacecraft carrying unintended contamination or by microorganisms. Wikipedia says, and I'm mad about this, but Wikipedia says that panspermia is a fringe theory with little support from mainstream scientists. Critics argue that it does not answer the question of the origin of life, but merely places that responsibility on another celestial body. It is also criticized because it was thought that it could not be tested experimentally. What are your thoughts on that, Pushkar? Well, so firstly, you know, the panspermia never claimed that it is a, it's an hypothesis about, uh, you know, explaining the origin of life because by its very definition, it's not. Yes. You know, it is, it is suggesting that life travels from planet to planet, stars to stars, and maybe galaxies to galaxies. Now, the thing is that we thought life was very fragile, you know, and, and it's a very <laughs> it's a stupid sort of uh, uh, view to have. In, in a modern time now, you know, if you look back, it feels very stupid you know, that you could, you could think that you could just boil some water and you can kill everything in that water. It doesn't work that way. So I think what we have concluded is that human life is very fragile. And I think our ego makes us believe that we are the ultimate, like the apex predator. We are the on top of the food chain and we are what matter. Maybe ultimately we find out we really don't matter at all. We're just like at the bottom of the rung when it comes to being the ambassador of life in our solar system, right? 
from a species perspective, we are just about a couple of million years, you know, and I think we are we are just trying to be too nosy about how good we are, <laughs> you know. So I, I I don't think you know we are there's too much hubris, too much hubris. Yes, I mean yes. hubris itself is bad, I and mean, when I had too much to it, you know, you understand we are in serious trouble, and and we really don't know. And life can very much have independent origins in different places because in nature nothing happened once. Now it depends upon how much you want to expand the definition of nature. Like, do you include a Mars and, and Moon and Venus into nature? It's only about your national park, you know. But uh, if you expand as, as a cosmos as one, which physics already does, because it says that, you know, let's say the energy has to stay constant, right? Hmm. Basically, you know, we should be looking at the entire cosmos for the origin of life by that very definition. And it makes no sense whatsoever, you know, to suggest that life cannot travel. We have found that when microbes jump from, let's say, a planet to planet or something like that, it is close to impossible for them to survive, hence the apprehension. But that's exactly where the scientific method comes in. So let it be an hypothesis which can be, let's say, explored. Hmm. All that you require to do is to, uh, like, you know, let's say we are going to go to Moon and Mars quite a few times in the coming couple of decades. Well, you know, you just send around a few tardigrades and a few other things. If they come fine, you know, can we just stop being that they can travel? They definitely can travel. But do you see any danger in that? Do you consider that a contamination or is that justified? No, I think it's, an, it's another cultural issue. You tell someone in India life is a contamination. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's, what's wrong with you? Life is a phenomenon. You know, and, and you can't just go and say it's, it's, the, it's the worst way of, you know, looking at life, which, which in our terms is supposed to be godly in nature, if you like. And just to settle the question of God, yes, you know, scientific method cannot test God, therefore God does not exist. There's no problem with that, and that's, that's how exactly what makes us great in India. You know, we will do the thing as the science thing together simultaneously, very well knowing the two don't agree. I think the idea of God can exist as in harmony with the idea of there being life on other planets or in outer space because the concept of God, at least from my very basic understanding of Hinduism, is not a set person or a set entity, right? Like our Absolutely. ultimate God is energy, right? That's from that's what Absolutely. I Absolutely it's the ultimate reality, as. the truth. Yes. I interpret it as Brahma as whatever caused the Big Bang. I see <laughs> Shiva as entropy. I see Vishnu as exthalpy, whatever the opposite of entropy is. Right. So it's not about the idols and the names of whatever 30,000 gods that we have. It's the idea of it, which is a force or a power that is greater than all of us. And so, yes, in Desi culture, these two ideas can exist together, alien life and... Absolutely. God. And there is no contradiction. In fact, there were some experiments done in the in early 2000s in India, driven by a couple of scientific organizations to test for, to look for life which might be coming from outside today. Because there is a, a version of panspermia is cometary panspermia. Hmm. The suggestion is that when the solar system was forming, life was introduced into the solar system about 4.5 uh, 5 billion years ago. Right. So when we were forming, everything sort of came, you know, uh, from that. A lot of these things were, let's say, lodged into the, the comets. Mm. And then the comet struck the, the young Earth, and that's how life was delivered. So that's the hypothesis. It's a scientifically viable hypothesis because it's falsifiable. So you can do an experiment and test it this way or that way. So it is as good as science it can be. Now, those comets exist even today. Now, those comets from the reservoir of the Oud cloud, they come to the solar system 
even today. Hmm. So and gas out and go close to the close to the sun and if they happen to cross our orbit, they would literally be dumping some of their stuff onto Earth. Right. Now there were these samples collected at around 20 to 40 odd kilometers, uh, you know, in the atmosphere, and then they found some interesting, uh, let's say, uh, results. Hmm. So that was wonderful experiment done. But the way I looked at it was that height was not enough. I believe panspermia works, but as, as it happened back then, you know, I had sort of criticized the entire results. <laughs> I was like, the the microbes are not showing any uh, characteristics which are expected to be seen in microbes which are living in a cometary niche, and that's millions of years. Now, now we plan to address this issue once and for all by we have conceptualized a spacecraft called as Bijayan. Bijayan. What does that mean? Uh, Bijayan is the, the 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 journey of the seed and is the name of the spacecraft. We announced it in 2019, and we are hoping to get hitch a free ride maybe around 2025. So we'll be putting out a research note about it possibly in a week or two. So it's going to be one of the parts we'll be asking for public funding because the idea is to create a spacecraft, you know, which goes to 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 what is considered outer space. Because the, the problem with this 20-40 kilometer experiment was that you are still within, let's say, uh, certain influences of, of the climate. Yes. Although it was very unlikely, but the fact is, you know, that's not good science then. You know, but then if you start collecting samples literally in space, and then you bring them back. So we have planned a sample retrieval mission. We have a very unique take on how to go about it. And as you might expect, because we are doing it from India, it's going to cost pretty less compared to from anywhere else. Even when I read about the Chandrayaan mission and how cheap it was, I was like, yes, Desi people know how to save money. It's inbuilt <laughs> in our culture. No paltu spending. <laughs> so, you know, we have been working on it since 2019. So we had announced it. Uh, and uh, let, let's see. I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Wow, that's pretty big, Pushkar. I mean, you just mentioned it so casually, but that is huge. So you plan to build a spacecraft and launch it into outer space to collect samples to have them tested for signs of life so is there any particular comet or asteroid that you're targeting do you have any can you reveal that now <laughs> i think they, i think someone will take it up and so that part is taken care of you see no fall to culture you know <laughs> so you can just hit a ride and apart from that because you know we want to collect samples from a cometary gassing out we, we cannot exactly determine that right now. Okay. We know what are the sort of comets coming, you know, and meteor showers and those sort of things we know. Now, depending upon the, the launch window, you know, we'll, we'll figure out that at, at what point in time we'll have the, you know, the greatest collection of, you know, cosmic dust, right. space dust or cometary dust, whatever you want to call it. And then we fall through that. I'm so excited about this. And I hope the listeners also find this exciting, like, this kind of research really, it helps us form the questions with more information, right? The questions about life and the origin. And we may not find the answers, but we may find out the right questions to ask after doing studies like this. The idea of panspermia was even mentioned as early as 5th century BCE by a Greek philosopher called Anaxagoras, who talked about panspermia in his writings. You have written about the Tunguska incident. Is that how you say it, Tunguska? Tunguska? I, I guess so, yes. You want to share a little bit about that? Do you think the Tunguska, was it a meteor, meteorite that 
crashed and do you think it had some kind of panspermia cargo so something comes from space you know it sort of hits the atmosphere if you like it sort of comes down a bit spreads a few things the releases blast energy and it actually goes back as well it goes back yes and and that is the the whole paper which i was writing about and and when it goes back you know there is a suggestion that we know which was the body which went back now Whoa. if we know which was that body you know then maybe you know we can actually get hold of it again because if we have identified it then why not so do you mean to say it bounced off of the earth's atmosphere or bounced off of the surface of earth uh that that is absolutely correct it it bounced off the surface of earth yes it came around it it released this blast energy and then it it just sort of bounced off wow that's crazy and because there was an hypothesis back in you know 2010 around uh, we have possibly uh, you know identified what that body might be mm-hmm. uh i think it was called as nea something something it was identification number uh, something to that Yeah. And that is when you know I suggested that you know we can actually go and and send a mission to that particular body. Yeah. Uh any of course stands for near earth asteroid and there was some number you know behind it. Right. But the the general term used is called as the Tunguska space body. Okay. Mm. So that's the a, a formal uh, term. And now there's an identification to that that maybe this particular body was actually that Tunguska space body. Now the thing is that if that is the case somewhere around 2045 it is going to cross the orbit of earth now we can send a mission to that body land on it just like the stardust mission did from uh, for for nasa and we can retrieve some samples from there now if true what it will tell us is that not only panspermia is possible you know you can also scoop out some part of atmosphere from other planets including life on it because there's a lot of life on earth maybe it also picked up some something from somewhere else it's like a mosquito flying in space yeah so we don't know did it take something from earth did it survive is it still viable can it seed life somewhere else yes how interesting and and that's how you do good science the point is only only that you know that uh, instead of arguing whether things can travel or not yeah. you know we test it as i was reading up on panspermia i came across something called extremophiles Now right. extremophiles are microbes that can survive under intense unbelievable conditions of heat, light, radiation, pressure, etc. and I discovered new words that I will be using in the future like osmophiles which are organisms that thrive right. in extreme sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I know some osmo- osmophiles. <laughs> um speaking of extremophiles, the more I read about them, the more they just seem indestructible. and wired to thrive no matter what the universe throws at them so are these microorganisms going to be the first ones to time travel to jump through warp drives and wormholes and come out from under a black hole live to tell the tale do you think these are the organisms that will do all of those things that we can't imagine humans doing so i mean we love extremophiles you know because when it comes from the perspective of panspermia you know the primary argument that you know if you take life and you put it up in a, in an asteroid and even if you let it seal it a bit you know that it won't last hmm. now extremophiles come along and they say you know well as i say hold my beer and they go around and do 
whatever they want to do, they don't die. Yes. No matter what you do, they just survive. I think some of the students put them up in a in a spacecraft. You know, they go up and they come down. I think by the time they they come back, you know, they are actually more. So they had some fun on the trip. Wow. Increasingly, there is evidence. You know that panspermia is getting more and more support, and and that is a good thing about science actually. You know because there is so much of scrutiny, and see so you see the respect for science comes from that because there is constant scrutiny. Hmm. Whether you are Einstein or one doesn't matter. You know no one is no one is spared. You know but then it must go through this process and then come out the winner. To me, the more and more I read about it, I don't think we're going to last that long as a species. The way that we've been carrying on, destroying the only planet that we live on, I I don't see us making it another thousand years. But these extremophiles will be here long past long past we are gone. So yeah, they may be the apex the apex being on our planet after all. Oh, may well be yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, UFOs and UAPs. What do you think they are? I know there are so many different theories. Like, are they extraterrestrial, which means alien off Earth craft? Are they probes by extraterrestrial? Do you think they are future humans traveling back in time? Do you think they are AI sent by extraterrestrials? Are they multi-dimensional beings? What do you think? What is your personal pet theory? Uh, let's say from a from a logical perspective, you and I do not make spacecraft in our spare time, yeah. right? So if there is a spacecraft, it means it is built by a state. We require a nation, you know, a country to build it. Yeah. Now there are not too many countries which can build aeroplanes for that matter, leave alone a spacecraft, right? So uh, you know the usual suspects, you know, that maybe these countries built it. Yeah. Now, these countries, you know, which are good at building these things, they're also very paranoid about going to war with each other and stuff like that. You know, so to believe that there have been these things appearing in the skies of these very countries, you know, and they have no idea of what it is, it, it makes little sense to begin with. Nonetheless, you know, if there's something put up in the sky and, and general normal citizens cannot put it up, you require a, a, a country or a, or a nation state to put it, it can only mean two things that either this is military or this is extraterrestrial. Hmm. There's nothing in between. So, well, so now the phenomenon is real. The UFO phenomenon is real. What do you think those crafts are? Let's say, yes, they are otherworldly. What do you think they, they represent? What do you think? Now, once again, if you go back to the scientific method, you want to, you, you have an observation research you make a prediction and you let me have, I can have an opposite prediction you suggest that they are outward maybe they are from here both are equally good line of inquiry <laughs> so here the issue now is that we require samples we require something to do good science with well yes there's a UFO up there so what do I do <laughs> because literally science can do nothing about it because you don't have the data nor the samples Whatever said is nothing but speculation. Yes. So do you believe they are manned crafts? Do you think they're actually like aliens sitting in there looking at us and flying those things? If you believe uh, that life exists in different planets, and if you also believe that way of evolution of life right. is universal, not going to be as alien as you know, we think they are going to be. Right perspective we know they cannot be necessarily too different from being carbon based but thereafter the thing is that if these two things are true then we can actually guess their motivation to an extent 
now we're going into entirely different territory. Motivations for what? The prevailing fear seen in Western media is that if there is life in outer space and if ETs are visiting us, it is to invade us. And that seems to be the prevailing idea. No, absolutely. And, and the, other ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing, uh, I would like to ask whoever they are, doesn't matter, Pentagon and all that, what sort of national security threat, my friend, at their mercy, my friend. You know, so kindly come out of that trance. And this is a global phenomenon. If anything, it's a global security issue. And I'm, I have as, as much as a say in it as do you. And that's the, the context which must be set. It is not about the United States of America or about Europe or something like that. It is a global phenomenon. And we are joining the conversation. We're a little late. But here we are now. Yes, exactly. There is no threat because uh, we are not equals when it comes to uh, our alien visitors. We are not on the same plane as them. If they have managed to master interstellar travel, you know, maybe they're even traveling through wormholes or whatever it is, they are very clearly more advanced than us. Their intentions may be unknowable to us, but they may have gone through this life cycle that we are currently in the middle of. They have seen it all. They have seen civilizations rise and fall. Maybe they have, and they know that violence is not the answer. Something I wish humans would understand. And, you know, they don't come to us in hostility. Maybe that's, you know, they just come to visit us. And they're like, have these people evolved beyond their violent designs? Nope. Okay. Goodbye. See ya. See you in another hundred years. And so they keep coming back to check on us, and we just keep getting worse. Now, this is a problem in the year for phenomena investigations is because by calling it a UAP is nothing but trying to get some guilt out of your way. Because, you know, you made such a mockery of UFOs mm -hmm. that, you know, now you want to call it an unidentified aerial phenomenon. You know what? I'm going to look at the, um, the things which show up in the air, but I'm not going to even touch at any alien abductions or cattle mutilation because that is just too much. That is not good yeah, I think that UAP rebranding was a very concerted effort by by the U.S. military complex to distance themselves from the UFO community because of the ridicule that they themselves had installed in in the field. It's their own guilt, yes. And they're like, we made this sound like uh, the stuff of nut jobs, and now we want to publicly participate but you know we're too ashamed so we're just going to change the name just rebrand it rebrand it it's uaps okay so uh here's my next question and again i know we may not have you know scientific conclusions or definite answers but what do you think you do you think ets or aliens are more likely to be humanoid what does science say when you say post-biological evolution do you mean ai do you mean cyborgs what do you mean you're already okay. post biological. You mean like enhanced, like uh, humans uh, 2.0, right. when we figure out how to enhance our own biological. Yes, and vessel. you can have certain smart materials, let's say down the line of the so called, the, uh, you know, out of these nanobots, if you like. You know, so if you're being born and if your eyes are not going to be in place, you simply, you know, you're designed in, in that way. And that is not too far in the future, actually. Right. You know, so post-biological evolution, you know, I mean, you, why the hell do you need a kneecap uh, replacement surgery? You know, you can have the nanobots take care of it up, up, up front. Yeah. You know, so, so stuff like that. Now, if we are not talking that, you know, right. because that will really depend upon how the technological evolution 
civilization goes and if if the if the if the march of the civilization is going to be towards technology or we really don't know you know because back here when we know i have asked certain spiritual masters about artificial intelligence they don't seem to care at all <laughs> as if it's not a big deal and lot of discourse about open AI by Elon Musk and stuff like that you know, and this thing but they don't seem to give a damn make is that if evolution is going to be universal then we can more or less be sure that they are cannot be too different from us they cannot be too alien so all those weird goopy looking creatures with like 10 heads and tentacles instead of legs and feet you know like we see in men in black or star wars and stuff those are basically it's just imaginative right that's yeah, not maybe they are their mercenaries version or something yeah. you know <laughs> go and destroy the planet <laughs> maybe those are bio weapons that oh, yeah uh, very men they might be yes yeah that et's create so okay and then i know we talked a little bit about this earlier but what do you envision an et invasion to look like now invasion doesn't have to be hostile right it could right. simply be um how an alien life integrates assimilates maybe even dominates us how do you think that would look do you think it's going to be the x-files version where the aliens spread through microorganisms and it's more viral in nature or do you think it's more like independence day where you have big ships come over and blast everyone yeah i think that's always more exciting for <laughs> and you know and 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 something you know that will be fun you know in a, in a very dark way <laughs> but then you know let's say if all the ufo sightings you know and if we put a story together you know so they are coming around the roswell you know so what we know is they are you know in spite of not having much traffic you know they are not very good pilots they tend to crash here and there so yeah. that is one thing we know about them other thing is that they have been doing this acrobatics way before we had any supersonic planes or stuff like that or hypersonic stuff you know so they have been doing it for for donkey years Another thing we know is that well they are in a position to abduct anyone anytime anywhere. They have a particular fascination for cattle mutilation it looks like. So we know a few things you know some patterns are already be are already established. They generally do not harm us. Mm. You know and even if they pick us up you know they do a few things and they send us back and we generally die the normal way. So if they wanted to exterminate us you know we that could have been done long ago. So the very fact that you are not exterminating something you know maybe it doesn't mean anything to you or maybe it means something to you and i would believe that the if we bring in the drake equation and stuff like that what we do know for sure is that intelligent life is not common so maybe we do mean something for sure you know and maybe that's why we are not being exterminated you know so there is a pattern which we can read into into the into the behaviors of all these sort of sightings say that let a certain thing have been captured by the by the governments and they have been being studied it doesn't change the fact that more of these ufos are any which way is coming i mean you can have your own stockpile i think bob lazar said he had some seen some i think just under a dozen different ufos at area 51 but that has not stopped sending them in the in the, in the new millennium they are still coming yeah you know all of this indicates to us that number one that if they are already here they are not going to kill us for sure hmm you know so the invasion you know is most likely if 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 we want to use that term because it's a very negative term if you like yes invasion like that's why i mentioned maybe it's not an invasion right. maybe it's an assimilation um you know sometimes you get this question you know that why do we get so many ufo sightings in the united states you know and and not so many 
the Indian subcontinent, you know, and generally um, there's a scientific answer to way of looking at it. You know, it's like asking that why do you get so many tigers and lions, you know, in India? So there can be reason or motivation which we don't understand. Mm. Another one can be, you know, which is the country which is most likely to do some uh, going to invasions and wars. You know, maybe that's why they are there, trying to tell them, you know, <laughs> don't don't do don't do all this, don't go to war. You know, India is not going to war anyway. I believe there's a really good documentary on this called UFOs and Nukes. And right. apparently there are more sightings around nuclear bases and missile silos all over the world. Yes, I heard about that, yes. So, yes, it sounds like they're clearly studying us, keeping an eye on us, making sure we don't... No, letting us live and do our stuff and fight the pandemic. And they don't seem to care about that either. <laughs> so, uh, Again, it's a conspiracy theory that... COVID is an alien virus that is taking because it's taking over the whole world. So it's some kind of alien virus to cull the population. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't call them theories, you know, because what, what happens then is that once that thing sets up, you know, I don't take it seriously. Yeah. And, and when, when a subject is so open and wide, it is important required of me to take everything seriously at the very least yeah. that's what i can do right so in fact in uh, october 2020 there was this meteorite i think strike in china mm. there is a hypothesis already in place by professor vikrama singh suggesting that uh, covid-19 is actually a product of panspermia wow. sars-cov-2 came from outside they had made a similar, yeah, it's a similar claim that was made in early 2000 when the original SARS, uh, you know, pandemic had happened, mm. that SARS virus fell from space. I would believe it because, think about it, um, all the dinosaurs on planet Earth would have been the supreme animal if they hadn't just died out mysteriously. We still don't know why they've all died out. They say, yes, there was some kind of meteorite that hit the earth and extinguished them but throughout the whole planet how did they die off it could be because of some panspermia some microorganism that got introduced in the environment that you know killed them off I believe that it's it's uh, the whole thing is cosmic in nature and you know as, as Mulder would say you know that that uh, he wanted to find out the truth but the the tools had been taken away <laughs> you know, and maybe that's what's happening, you know, by keeping everything behind, you know, redacting data, not giving you access to, uh, you know, data to observation. What you do, you take away the tools of investigation. So you mentioned a research paper by Dr. Vikram Singhe. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that if listeners wanted to go and read up on that theory? But it was especially Professor Nardlikar who went ahead and that was in 2003 that he suggested that, uh, well, SARS virus fell from, fell from the sky around the Himalayas. And the idea was based in, in the book, which was actually, you know, scientists who should have won a Nobel Prize and did not. That is uh, Fred Hoyle. And they are all uh, students of Hoyle, right? And they have written this book called Diseases from Space. They, in the sense, Fred Hoyle and Vikramasinghe. Right, and the idea was that the the uh, this 1908 uh, pandemic was actually, you know, it spread so quickly that the only way that spread was possible so quickly was only through panspermia. Yes, and that's why it was so devastating because if we have existed for millions of years, mutations of this order can't just occur overnight like this, right? Like you, right, we would so have had was... an idea about 
uh, a virus turning so deadly, we would have seen it coming. But if it was so sudden, if it was overnight, and if it was so unknown to us that we were still struggling to make vaccines for it, that kind of begs the question, did it even belong in this world? Perhaps not. That's why these are brilliant men, you know, Narlikar, Hoyle, Vikramasinghe. These are brilliant men, you know, they might not have ideas which are necessarily... I mean, for example, Professor Narlikar does not believe in the Big Bang. Does that Hmm. make him a nut job? (laughs) That is not how science is done. You know, he's as good as a scientist as they come. Hmm. And similarly, Professor Vikramasinghe, you know, working along with Fred Hoyle, they, they made some bold, bold claims. They backed it up with some fantastic research. Now, down the line, yes, you know, because there has been so much of, uh, let's say, this all becoming rather, rather murky <laughs> overall in terms of research. But then it is very much an hypothesis which must be looked into, you know, that this virus, whether it is, let's say, man-made, whether it is, whether it is from outer space, these are parts of inquiry. Mm. And, yes. and, and, and going to these men who, who decided to take certain, you know, stances which are not necessarily popular, you know, but that's how science is done. I totally forgot to mention it earlier, but do you want to talk about the Fermi paradox? I'll just kick it off real quick. So the Fermi paradox is the conflict between the lack of clear, obvious evidence of extraterrestrial life and various high estimates for their existence, which means so an Italian-American physicist Enrico Fermi. Uh, came up with this uh, Fermi's paradox. Basically, they had a casual conversation in the summer of 1950 with fellow physicists. And during lunch, Fermi blurted out, but where is everyone? So the probability of having life in outer space is very high, but there is no clear evidence that they exist. So the Milky Way is 13 billion years old. Our planet is just about 4 billion years old. So that gives plenty of time for other advanced civilizations to have existed and ended and maybe recreated themselves, right? So where are they? Just because you can figure out, you know, you can send, uh, you can just stumble to the moon and to Mars, you believe you can know the answers. Too much of hubris, I believe. It follows by, well, you know, if they existed, we should have found out by now. Like, that is the most ridiculous thing to say. Like, like I, I mean, like, really? How long have you been searching? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Let's, let's look at the question. Where is everybody? All right. So, we are recording a podcast today. Right? And you expected me to be around at a certain time. If I do not show up, is that you expected to me to be there. And I was not. That's why you ask the question, where is Victor? Why the hell is he asking, where is everybody in the first place? That Fermi paradox is already inclination towards, where is everybody? They expected to find it. Not that they did not expect to find it. Hence the question, and hence the paradox. And I believe, my, my personal belief is that, you know, let's say if you, you know, one of the solutions of Fermi paradox is they're already here. And we are acting as if that is not a valid solution. Yeah, we didn't make any appointments with them. So I don't know why we expected them to show up. (laughs) Also, um, I believe the James Webb Telescope, which is one of the most powerful tools in astronomy. And I believe we will be able to see further into 
the universe further than we have ever seen before. And maybe we'll finally see something. Maybe we'll finally see some signs. Maybe we'll finally be able to see the face on Mars and all those other anomalies that you see online from the rover, uh, Curiosity rover, um, the, its uh, transmissions. You know, people try to find uh, evidence of, man, you know, well, not man-made, but sentient, intelligent structures that were constructed on Mars millions of years ago and trying to prove there is life on Mars. What happens is that if I want to say something, uh, what is considered to be not jobby thing, you know, but if I want to put it in a very scientific way, then there's a term for that. It's called as a prior technological, uh, prior technological species. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what IARF, uh, your research institute, has plans for in the near future and, you know, the for, uh, the coming year, say 2022? What are your plans? What's exciting? What's coming up? This is an unidentified social phenomenon. The UFOs, the aliens are already amongst the people. And therefore, what people say, think, it matters and governments cannot decide the agendas. It also means that we require the people on Reddit and stuff, you know, to contribute to the science directly. Because as long as you are in the scientific method, we are all the same. Now, to take taking all these thoughts together, you know, we have decided to go public with raising funds to build India's first astrobiology institute, including a center of excellence for UFOs. And uh, the new year, we, we begin that announcement to raise the funds to build it in Mumbai, in India. Excellent. And I hope all the listeners here are excited by that news and you are able to contribute to this great endeavor um, to try and make our world a little, you know, closer, make us a little more intelligent, a little more informed and not at the mercy of secretive government and military industrial complexes, right? Let's take back the control in a scientific way. It doesn't have to be speculative. It has to be something that is tangible, that is studyable, researchable. And thank you so much, Pushkar, for contributing to that endeavor. And I'm very happy that this is coming from you know, from India. I'm so happy. No, that makes so a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, as an organization, we have been around since 20, I mean, 2006. So it's, it's, we, are, we, are, we are around for, we are around for some time, 15 odd years, you know, but then uh, you know, so space has picked up big time in the Indian subcontinent. And at the same time, I mean, we did not make the, make the Pentagon release. You know, we find ourselves in a position to make some serious contributions which will help the subject. And therefore, the decision to go public and to raise funds and to build the institute. So we want to, I mean, you know, in a very broad way, we would like to emulate the SETI Institute in Arizona, you know, but, but add our Desi flavor to it. Yeah, I think as Desis, um, we are kind of conditioned to be humble, to be modest, to be quiet, to do our work and let the work speak for itself and kind of wait to be discovered. That really doesn't work for us when it comes to the global front. I've discovered that when I moved to the US. Over here, it's very different. So here, you have to scream it from the rooftops about how good you are and what potential you have. And you have to be vocal about your accomplishments and your capabilities. In India, we say, Hire ki, what is it called? Hire ki pehchan, johari ko hoti hai. Yes, a jeweler is the one who can appreciate the value of a diamond. But over here, the diamond has to scream out from the 
you know, rooftops and declare itself worthy of being inspected and scrutinized. Actually, and so, the strategy is rather simple. We will continue to be uh, humble. However, the shouting is required. And yes. then we'll pick up from the scriptures. And there is a, there's a, in, there's a saying which goes like, Yogakshem uh, vahamyaham. So I will do my science. The God will do the shouting. And it's pretty difficult to yes, beat God at anything, so you see. <laughs> so... Uh, we had an amazing, wonderful conversation, Pushkar. Thank you for spending your precious time on, you know. And, and you should do it for India, you know. I think I think it will be great, you know. I mean, we'll be glad to host you, support you, you know, because we, we don't have any podcast, you know, we speak about what happens in India. So maybe you should consider something on that nature. Absolutely. That's my whole goal. Bring South Asian... Well, this would be part of my strange phenomenon uh, section. But you know what? Strange phenomenon is great. It's something to pique curiosity and, you know, have people look into things they probably never heard of before or haven't cared about before. And that's the whole goal. So thank you so much, Pushkar. Um, I'm going to end the episode with one question. Have you had a sighting of your own? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you wish to have a sighting on your own? What would be your ideal contact with ET? What would that look like? Uh, just tell me, I mean, do you have, do you know why we exist or do I need to find more aliens for that now? No, let's just assume they exist. Let's assume that ETs exist. I, I, I want to ask, I like, I'll meet the alien, you know, I'll, I'll of course take a bit of a ride in the UFOs. And after <laughs> that, you know, I'll just put my arm around the alien and I'll be like, do you know why we exist? <laughs> <laughs> so if the alien knows, I'm happy. If the alien does not know, I'll be like, do you know any other alien races which exist? Oh, that's the that's the idea and thank you so much for having me on the podcast Pia lovely thanks so much Pushkar yes thank you that's all we had for this episode of Crimes from the East your see true crime and strange phenomenon podcast with a little masala and 